What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Sustained going. Yes, no question about it, but he's uh, going for a pinfall and only getting a one count. Three pinfalls, attempts in a row for Scott Casey and a one count. That should give him a message. Soften this guy up some more. Do some more damage. Get him hurt more. Then go for your cover. Go for your pin. Uh-oh, reversal here. Oh! Look out, he caught him. Oh, wow! What was that? A, a steer buster? A yeah. buster? A bulldog there by Casey. Oh, Nicely done. Nicely done. That's right. So nicely done that I think the referee could have counted to 10 very, very easily as Scott Casey puts away Sandy Beach. Here is your winner, Scott Casey. All right, yeah, well, let's get it going right here. And uh, right now, this is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by our good friends over at the Captain's Corner. Head on over to Facebook.com slash Captain's Corner and find out all the information about the upcoming guests that Captain's Corner has coming to a wrestling convention near you and as well as all the great information on the huge Legends of the Ring convention coming up here on June 9th in Monroe, New Jersey. It's all going on at Facebook.com and search the Captain's Corner and join us all at Legends of the Ring on June 9th in Monroe, New Jersey, and if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner here on the two-man power trip, the one and only John Pazin. John, I'm not trying to run against the clock here, but we've got a lengthy episode ahead of us with two guests, another two-guest episode. We're going in a string of two-guest episodes as we welcome Jose Luis Rivera and Scott Casey to today's program, and like I just mentioned, They'll be joining us along with the Captain's Corner at Legends of the Ring on June 9th 
in Monroe, New Jersey with Nick and the crew at Captain's Corner. You always know he's going to come up with some eclectic group of superstars that either you haven't seen in a long time or you haven't heard much from. And that's why they are on our show today. First, with Scott Casey up in the batter's box and waiting on deck, Jose Luis Rivera. And there's a lot to talk about, but John, I want to hand it over to you. You were able to masterfully kind of take on both of these interviews uh, and really just guide these two guys into giving so much great information and sharing so many highlights from their careers, which share with us now, if you can, some of those highlights and some things we can look forward to in this double episode with Jose Luis Rivera and first Scott Casey. Yes, Chad, another gigantic two-part episode with us, obviously starting with Scott Casey, then we're going to go and hand it over to Jose Luis Rivera. These two interviews are a lot of fun. I love the underrated guys. I love the guys you haven't heard much of lately. Obviously, Jose Luis Rivera, the Conquistadors. So many people remember that tag team. And obviously, Scott Casey, if you're a fan of World Class, you remember him quite, quite well. And of course, he did have a good three-year run in the WWF as well. So, I mean, there are certain things that, that stick out in both their careers. And I think you'll enjoy both interviews separately, and you get a lot out of it. And when you come to Legends of the Ring, you're going to meet Scott Casey, you're going to meet Jose Luis Rivera. Captain's Corner Nick always has a crazy group of guys, guys you haven't met before. It's always rare guys as well, which I love. So with this interview, first with Casey, the WWF stuff I love, obviously, and then the world-class stuff is probably just my second favorite. But when we get into talking a little bit about his time in Japan, that was fun and a little interesting, too, because not a lot of people know about his brief period over there he goes all into detail with that and with jose luis rivera just want to mention he had a 10 year run in the wwf how many people can say that well not many and especially in the time that he did it running the gauntlet you know from the vince senior era all the way through vince jr he saw the hogan era so many different huge stars came out through his 10 year run so sit back relax and enjoy an amazing uh, two-parter with the two-man power trip and not only is it going to be Scott Casey and Jose Luis Rivera with Captain's Corner at Legends of the Ring, he'll also be joined by the superstar Bill Dundee and WWF Tag Team Champion Legend Dominic DiNucci, Shane Douglas's trainer, of course, as well as a joint promotion with ESS Promotions bringing David Schultz, the one and only Dr. D, to the Legends of the Ring, another uh, just great group of guests that Captain's Corner has. And not only at Facebook can you find the information, but also freewebstore.org slash captains-corner for pre-order and ordering information, as well as the times that they will all be signing on June 9th. And we want to just get this over to the episode. It's going to be one hell of a giant one. So strap in and enjoy so with all that being said, John, hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business, and let's get it on over first to Scott Casey, followed up by Jose Luis Rivera. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. 
Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, TMPTOfWrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former Southwest Championship Wrestling World Champion, a former NWA Texas Heavyweight Champion, and of course, a former World Class Television Champion. He is a man that spanned three years in the WWF and many years all over the globe. He is Scott Casey. Enjoy. Joining us on the line is a very rare and special guest of the show. He is a former WCCW television champion, a former NWA Texas heavyweight champion, a former SWCW world heavyweight champion. He is one, the only, Scott Casey. Scott, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. John, it's great to be with you. Uh Dick said he, we, he was going to set this up, and I was very flattered, and uh, I'll be glad to answer any question you got and tell you some funny stories and just fire away. <laughs> All right, Legends of the Ring in Monroe, New Jersey. It's coming up June 9th. Obviously, you know, you've been in the Northeast and the Northeast Territory. This time you're coming in with Nick over at Captain's Corner. You can find his Facebook page at Captain's Corner. Also, his free web store is Captain's Corner. So what is it like coming back to the Northeast after all these years? Well, at least it's not cold there yet. I tell you what, you know, being from the South like I was, I I was raised up in Amarillo, Texas with all the greats. And it's it's a pleasure being down here with, you know, but uh, I enjoy it up there. I, I mean, the first time I saw New York, I'm walking around with my mouth open going, my God, this is what this is like up here. And, you know, we went into New Jersey. I remember there's a place called Wildwood or something like that in New Jersey. And uh, I enjoyed it down there. The people were really nice to us, and they enjoyed my southern accent. (laughs) I enjoyed their northern (laughs) accent, you know. So, but uh, we, we had a lot of fun. I mean... It's just like an old-timer Sputnik Monroe once told me. He said, Scott, by the time you finish your career, you'll be like Coca-Cola. I said, what do you mean? He said, you'll have gone everywhere. And by God, was he ever right. I went around the world nine times, and I met some of the craziest people. I mean, 
they were good to be with, but, you know, some of them were just a little offline there, but that's okay. You know, we all get that way sometimes. But I mean, it was it was a whirlwind trip that I wouldn't have missed for anything in the world. <clears throat> now, in the Northeast, obviously, you spent a pretty good amount of time in the WWF from probably about 87 to about 1990. So those those northern fans definitely got used to that southern accent, that's for sure. What was it like when you first got there, and, and, you know, you meet Vince, uh, Vince Jr. for the first time? Well, you know, I mean, he was nice. You know, we come find out he and I are the same age, So, but it, he uh, said, welcome to WWF. I said, well, it's a pleasure being here. I said, I appreciate it. And uh, I, I think the reason I got in up there is because of Pat Patterson. Now, Pat... I knew him for years when he was back in Amarillo, and uh, we got to be friends, and he showed me a few things in wrestling and things like that, and uh, I guess it got over with Vince, you know, because there I was, you know. I I still, to this day, remember some of the old-timers saying, you know, Scott, you're not big enough, you're not strong enough, you're not tall enough, and when I walked through the curtains of Madison Square Garden, and there was this gazillion people there, and then they said they had a big TV room down below. I thought to myself, well, doubting Thomas's, here I am. What do you think now? And I, I had to smile to myself. Hmm. It was great. I mean, you know, the fans are just avid, avid friends. And, you know, they're as smart as we are <clears throat> about the wrestling business. So you had to really be good. You had to be on your game, and you had to be confident. You know, and uh, it's changed a lot over the years, the way the guys work now compared to what we used to do. But it was fun. I enjoyed it, and I I wouldn't give anything in the world for it. It was really a lot of fun. One thing I remember specifically from your run, and it was always interesting, it was like you were always placed in kind of like odd teams. Like it was, it was never you and a consistent partner. Was that something that, you know, ever bothered you or something you ever thought of or you were, you know, were you happy to be there and happy to be working for the WWF at that point? I was happy to be there and working for the WWF, but I think, and this is not sour grapes, you know, I mean, there's, there's groups and there's committees and they decide who, what, when, and where, and evidently somebody had a, you know, what on for me because I never got a chance to show what I could do. Now, when I was in Texas, we made tons of money down there, and it, it, but it didn't transport up to New York, and I think that's why. Because, and I, for the life of me, couldn't figure out who was, didn't like me or whatever. But it, it didn't matter, you know. I mean, I got to be there. I got to. It's like being in the, the Super Bowl or the World Series or something like that. When you're up there, you're up. You're one of the good chosen few that get a chance to get out there and show yourself, you know, and uh, I even had guys, you know, like I would have to put guys over, and they would apologize to me about it, because they knew that I knew what I was doing out there, and uh, I, as a matter of fact, let me back up here on another subject, and if I forget this one we're talking about now, it's called a senior moment, but anyway, I was (laughs) called by the WWE and <clears throat> Booker T and his brother Stevie Ray requested for me to come to Las Vegas, Nevada, 
so I could present them at the Cauliflower Alley Club. They got big plaques and everything, and there was hundreds of people there. And uh, I just had a ball doing it, you know. And uh, I forgot where I was. See, there I go. I've got a senior moment coming up here. But, uh, you know, it's you just you can't imagine what it's like, you know, especially there in Nevada. It was unbelievable. I mean, there was hundreds of people there. And, and uh, New York took care of me. They flew me in, fed me and wined and dined me and the whole bit, you know. And I thought, you know, it's been 28 years and, well, I was going to say about 55 pounds lighter now that I was part of this craziness. But uh, they still do it first class, you know. And I, But, I, you know, I, I just, back to what I was saying earlier, I, I don't have any regrets not being featured or the stars. I used to tell the guys, I said, I'm just one of the guys in the show, one of the girls in the show or whatever you want to call it. But I had a had a great time doing it, and uh, they can't take that away from me. So there you go. <laughs> Definitely want to get back to the WWF, but you mentioned the Cauliflower Alley Club, and you mentioned being basically, you know, you trained Booker T and Stevie Ray, what everyone knows now, the whole right. heat. But what was it like when you first got a hold of them? You know, were they just like pieces of mold, pieces of clay? But, you know, as, as you know, basically you're going to start training. You're like, man, these guys have potential, or what did you think of them? Well, I, when I finally got my walking papers from Vince and he gave me the boot and my ass still hurts from it. No, <laughs> not seriously. But anyway, <laughs> I went back down to Houston and Ivan Pusky was down there and he had a wrestling school. And he said, Scott, I want you to help me with these two guys I've got. He said, they're going to be great. So in walked Booker T and his brother Stevie Ray. One's like 6'4", one's 6'5", you know, and both built like chiseled out of stone. And I, I got them in the ring, and I showed them timing. I showed them how to take bumps. I showed them expressions. I showed them everything like I could think of. And they never, ever forgot that. That's why they requested for me to come out there and present them. And uh, the thing about it to me was these guys had talent when they didn't even know they had talent. You know, and I mean, I wasn't jealous about anything. I thought, this is amazing, you know. But uh, I I told them, I said, they're going to call you the N-word behind your back. They're going to say everything in the world. I said, but it's not what you make, it's what you say. And I hadn't seen these guys in like 25 years, and they never forgot that. And that's why they requested me to come. But, I mean, both of them were so, so natural at it. It's just amazing. Me, I had to stumble, fumble, and fall a little bit. I mean, I I was trained by guys like Terry and Dory Funk and uh, Bobby Duncan and Dick Murdoch and uh, Dusty Rhodes. But, I mean, these were all the greats. Yeah, it must be something in the blood up there that makes these guys so good. But, I mean, I don't qualify like they did, but I, I, I felt like I, I held my own with them. So it was a lot of fun. But back to Stevie Ray and, and, and Booker T. They are ultimate gentlemen, they're great athletes, and they deserve all the accolades that you could possibly bestow on them, really. They're really great guys. So there. What was that like for you? Was that like a proud father almost moment where they're actually remembering you all these years later and really kind of honoring you as well as they're being honored? What was that like in your head? 
To be what again? I'm sorry, I didn't catch all that. Say that again. Almost like being like, almost like you were being a, like a proud parent or something. You know, like they're remembering something you're saying. You know, many years later, they're really honoring you in a way when they're yeah. being honored. Is that like a really cool moment for you? Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, they even told me they said we would. He, he's the only white guy we know we trust with our mother. Now I thought that was a hell of a compliment. So. <laughs> but I mean, they. they were so nice to me, and I was nice to them. And I, you know, the thing about it, it was for them, they said, you didn't cut corners, you didn't back off on what you said, you told us the truth. And that's not easily done with a lot of young guys nowadays. I mean, you you know, this is what's going to happen, this is how it's going to happen. I, because I instantly liked these guys. I mean, they were so personal and, and so nice. And I, they uh, just showed me everything that that I showed them and did it to perfection. I really didn't have to do a lot of training with them. I did, but, I mean, I, I, I could have backed off and said, you know, you guys can go anywhere right now. You know, and then I remember I, I, I didn't talk to them for years, and I saw them that, that they were in uh, Atlanta on their big whatever that was down there. But anyway, I, they they did good there. And the next thing I know, boom, they're up in New York, and I said, "Boy, they got to be making some money now, you know." And, and they did; they did real well, and I was proud of them. Yeah, I really was. And when I I saw them again, they, like I said before, and I'll reiterate on this, that I did not lie to them one iota. I told them exactly how it's going to be, exactly what's going to happen. I said, "You know, there's going to be times when you're going to be absolutely miserable on the road." It may be a family problem. It may be a physical problem. It may be a mental problem. I said, but by the time you finish this, and eventually we all finish doing it, I said, by the time you finish this, you will have the greatest experience in your life. You'll never, ever forget it. And they didn't, you know. So that was that. I mean, just because I told them the truth, you know, and. They were happy with that. I mean, you know, because, you know, you could see a lot of guys, they'd talk to each other, and, you know, I could hear the bullshit, or pardon my French. But anyway, I could hear the BS, and uh, and I knew what was happening. But like I said, these guys are so natural. <clears throat> and it's something just compelled me inside to say, tell them the right way, Scott. And I did. So that was <clears throat> that. Was <now. coughs> Excuse me. I love that they remember you, you know, the way you remember the Funks and Dusty and stuff. So that that's pretty cool of them, uh, you know, kind of paying it forward a bit as well as you paid it forward. Well, you know, back when, when I first broke in, they would beat the living you-know-what out of you every day. And they did that to me. And, and I, I, it, I guess they thought, well, you know, the little goof, he's not going to quit. So I guess we're going to have to teach him how to work. And they did, you know. I mean, it's just, you know, Bobby Duncan was so good to me, and Dick Murdoch, you know. <laughs> so funny. My first, very first match on was on TV against Dick Murdoch, and we locked up. He said, "Big old arm drag." I said, "Me or you?" He backed off from me and screamed. He said, "Me, ignorance." <laughs> I'll never forget that as long as I live. It was so funny, and uh, but. You know, guys like him and Dusty Rhodes, you know, 
I mean, you know, I, I look like a flea in there with most of them. I'm, at the time, probably 220. Then I blew up to 250 and I felt better about myself, I guess. I don't know. But, I mean, they all enjoy working with me. And, you know, guys like Ted DiBiase, you know, I mean, he was he was something else. I mean, I had his third match he ever had. It, it was kind of rough, but we got through it. But uh, the rest of the guys, you know, they just worked and worked with me and showed me how to take bumps, showed me how to go through the ropes. And the main thing, like I told uh, Booker T and Stevie Ray, as these guys told me, they said, you know, Scott, it does not matter one iota what you look like or what you can do. If you're an Adonis, kind of like the Ultimate Warrior or something like that, then you've got almost a free ride. But anyway, he said, the thing of it is, if you cannot talk, if you cannot put yourself over with the people in doing your interviews, he said, you're dead in the water. I don't care who you are or what you can do. If you can't do it that way, you're dead in the water because nobody's going to believe you and nobody's going to give it, you know what. So... I learned, I remember Wahoo McDaniels, one time I was having a difficult interview down in San Antonio, and him and Ray Stevens were there. And I kept screwing this thing up. Finally came up, you know, Wahoo was notorious for his big chop, and he blistered me across my chest. He said, if you can't do that right, get your ass back over there and sit down. I said, just a damn minute. I turned around and did the interview. He said, that's what I wanted in the first place. I said, okay, okay. I said, you know, give me a little time to get adjusted to it. and But that was the thing. you got to be able to talk. You know, nowadays, you got to be an actor. You've got to learn all the, the lines and everything else. And, and you know, that's probably got to be twice as hard as what we did because you're, you know, you, you just, I don't know. It just, to me, it seems like, you know, you got to learn the lines like they do nowadays. I can see what they're doing, you know, which is fine, you know. Everything evolves, everything changes, and and uh, but that was the main thing I told Stevie Ray and Booker T. Learn how to talk. Learn how to do those expressions. Learn that moment to hesitate, that moment to expound, that moment to scream, moment to raise your voice, bring your eyes up real wide, and show people what it's all about. And that's what it was, you know. So, anyway, there I go. <laughs> now you mentioned before when we were talking about WWF, you said putting guys over and that role and kind of uh, you know they call it like the enhancement guy or, or whatever that role is really called. At that point, you know you're you're still you know still great. You came off a great run in world class. Did you expect more from WWF or or was it okay because it was the land of the giants? Was you know was there any kind of trepidation there? Uh, yeah, I expected more, but, you know, I got, I got the message real well. They weren't going to do anything with me. They weren't going to feature me. You know, I was just along for the ride for three years. I mean, I, I, not once did I ever do a promo for them or anything like that, you know. And like I said, I, there were guys there that would apologize to me because I had to put them over. Well, I said, hey. Sometimes some roads are smooth and some roads have got potholes in them. And mine just had potholes in it. So I, you know, but I, I, I guess deep inside I was disappointed, but there wasn't anything I could do about it. 
you know, just keep on keeping on. And I rode that. It's like uh, Nelson Royal told me one time. He said, ride that horse till it drops and grab you another one. <laughs> That's what I tried to do, and I stayed there for about three years. And uh, <clears throat> it was a lot of fun, though. But like you said, there was a little trepidation there. But I never let it show, you know, because I always tried to be nice to everybody and smile. Because you know, even the fans, you know, somebody said one time, why do you take so much time with the fans? I said, because they make my living. That's why. <laughs> they make my living. And I better be nice to him. Okay? That's where it was. So anyway, out of the way. I think, I think your real standout match in the WWF, something that everybody will remember, I think, was obviously Survivor Series 88. Andre, Dino Bravo, perfect, rude race. And obviously you're on the, you were on the losing team, but it was you, Jake, Duggan, Patera, Tito. Was that right, role? Were right. you always set to be in that match and always in that role? And do you remember that match fondly? Because oh. that's a great Survivor Series and a great team. Brian Blair was supposed to be there, and I don't know what happened. Either he got sick or hurt or some business thing happened, and he couldn't make it. So Vince walked up to me and said, "Scott, I want you in the Survivor Series." He said, "Oh, hot damn! I'm going to make some money." And uh, so I, I, you know, I got out there and. Andre standing over there. He and I were always buddies from years ago. And uh, no matter where I, if he would come into a territory before the, now the cable is the way it is, but, you know, we had territory. He would always find my butt and get me drunker and a skunk and then pick me up and carry me out of the bar. I mean, it was terrible, but it was fun. No, I mean, he was a great guy. But uh, back to, to the match, you know, I mean, I had fun working with Dino Bravo and, uh, you know, Harley Race was, I think, in on that thing, too. And uh, it, it was quite an honor to be able on, uh, to, to be in the ring with the guys. And, you know, you, you, I still get residuals from it, which is kind of fun. You know, money talks and you know what walks. So it, that's the way it was. <laughs> that's okay. great with Andre, though. I mean, obviously people are, are now getting more and more used to hearing these great Andre stories because I had a recent documentary on HBO, but I love talking to the guys and hearing what they think about Andre and hearing about, you know, he can drink a hundred beers at a, in a sitting and different stuff like that. So what was your experience at night on the town with Andre or do you not even remember it at the time? We left Colorado Springs one night and back then you drove everywhere and uh, he bought Three and a half cases of beer. I can't figure out. I can't remember how much three cases of beer is, but it's a lot. And he said, "Would you mind if I drive?" I had this old '72 Chevy Blazer. He said, "Would you mind if I drive?" I said, "No, not at all." I said, "Can you? You know how to drive here in the states?" I said, "You know, we're on the right hand side instead of left." He started laughing. He said, "Yeah, I know how." So we're going over to El Paso now. If you go into New Mexico and and then go that way, you, I forget what it was. Was it Colorado Springs to El Paso? No, that's what it was. Anyway, we had to be there for a TV show, and he's doing 90 miles an hour in my truck, and I don't care because I'm drunk by then. So anyway, he, all of a sudden, we get stopped by the highway patrol, and I'm like, oh, crap, we're in trouble now. He said, don't worry about it. I said, what? So he pulled over, and the cop gets out, and he's a big boy. He's about 6'8", and Andre was 7'4". He gets out, and the cop lit up like a Christmas tree. He said, ah, 
you're Andre the Giant. He said, you're Scott Casey. And he said, oh, shit. I'm, I keep saying it, folks. I'm sorry. But anyway, we, we're standing there. He said, you guys, I know you've been drinking. And the back seat looked like a beer can commercial. You couldn't see the back seat. There was beer cans all over it. And he said, look, if you'll make it over there and not get in trouble, he said, I won't leave you a ticket. But the one thing, he said, I got three little boys, and they love you guys. Would you sign autographs? I said, only here with this big guy could this ever happen. Otherwise, I'd probably still be in jail. But anyway, it was it was so funny. We signed the pictures and everything like that. He said, now, be careful. Don't tell anybody that I stopped you. And I thought, this would never happen with anybody else. It was so funny. But you know, we got away with it, you know. And uh, he even, we're, we're driving down the road, and I've got a whiz. I mean, so bad, you can't, I can almost taste it. And he, and I said, Andre, pull over. No, 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 we we got to go. Andre, pull over. No, 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 no. No, boss. If he liked you, he called you boss. <laughs> oh, God. So I, we're doing about 70, and I've got half my body out the window taking a leak. And, and, and I thought, only with this big guy could this happen. And, uh, and he still wouldn't stop. But we finally made it there. And it was one of those things where it was a morning promo. It was like 8 or 9 in the morning. And we just barely had enough time to get there. But we made it. So that was always the way it was. You know, you were always driving like mad to get some town. And, then you got to leave and go to some other town, and it was just on and on and on. It worked, you know. So that's the way it was back then. It is crazy that uh, Andre can get you out of a uh, possible uh, arrest or you know uh, drunk driving. And obviously, you know, don't try this at home. And if you don't have a giant with you, obviously, you know, uh, you got to tread lightly as well. You're, you're deep in the water if you don't have him with you. He's driving, you know. <laughs> He just, he was, I tell you, I, I'm going to try to tell this as nicely as I know how. He asked me one time, because I used to cut hair, he said, before I wrestled, he said, called me and said, boss, would you mind cutting my hair? I said, no, not at all. So I came over, brought my scissors and comb, stuff like that. And I said, sit in the chair. Well, he sat in the chair. Well, hell, I couldn't reach his head. He's so damn tall. I said, get your big ass on the floor. So he sits down. And I'm trimming his hair, and we're talking about this and that and when and all this stuff. And, I, you know, you go home at night, you take your watch, your wallet, and your jewelry stuff, and put them in one spot. I always do, but I think most everybody else does the same thing. So anyway, I'm looking around, and I see this thing, and I said, what the hell? It's a big, big gold ring. I said, do you have a baby? He said, no. John, as I'm talking to you, I took three fingers, ran them through, and my pointing finger, the middle finger, and the next one, and I got pretty good sized hands. It never touched the sides. And uh, I can't say on your talk show what I said to him, but I was thoroughly amazed that they could be that big. He wore a size 23 quad triple E shoe. Can you imagine that? I wear a 12, so if you put both mine together and shave a little off the toe, that's how big his foot was. You know, but I mean, he was such a good guy to me. You know, always good. Was looking for me, trying yeah, to get me drunk. I, I, huh? I remember going to a, lo- a live show, 
um, you know, just a WWF house show back in, you know, maybe it was 1990 or so. And my God, he just massive, uh, you know, humanity with bear paws and giant feet. I mean, I can't even imagine being friends with him and, you know, getting to see his stuff up close and seeing how much of a, of a monster he was. Oh, we, one time I was, we were in Amarillo and Andre back then would go to different territories and, you know, spike the crowds up and everything like that. So it was Thanksgiving time, and I said, come on over to the house. I'm going to cook a big turkey. I cooked two 25-pound turkeys. That's 50 pounds worth of turkeys, right? I cooked I don't know how many bags of potatoes and coleslaw and all this other crap and pumpkin pies and stuff. And I had six guys besides Andre and me. I remember it was – do you remember Chris Taylor who – who wrestled for Iowa, great big 6'5", 400-pound guy. He was there. Ricky Romero, uh, hell, it's been so long, I can't remember them all. There wasn't, a, there wasn't a crumb left when these guys got through. I mean, they ate and ate and ate. You know? I said, you know, you're going to get, I don't know what they call it, narcolepsy or something like that. You make you sleepy. They were all sacked out by that time. I mean, <laughs> it was so funny. They ate everything, you know. And I thought, well, okay. That's why I invited them over. But it was a lot of fun. Andre had fun. This is I like Thanksgiving. I said, I bet you do. <laughs> you <know>. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got to feed uh, that, uh, I, that big, gigantic frame. I'm sorry, what? I was saying you got to just you got to feed that gigantic frame. I can't imagine how much food he needs to eat just to kind of uh, you know stay calm. Well, he you know we were in Jasper, Missouri one time, and he ate three sixteen ounce steaks. You know, and I'm watching him eat this stuff, and I'm like, where the hell is he going to put all that? He ate it. You know, <laughs> Jake the Snake was with me, and uh, Tito Santana, Andre, me. Uh, these guys were eating like pigs, but we always did. You know, you gotta, you gotta keep your size. You gotta keep your stamina and stuff like that. So, I did. I mean, you know, it was nothing for me to eat eight or nine thousand calories a day. You know, but it was just it's the way it was. You know, you had to do what you had to do. You know? But uh, <clears throat> that was it. Now, if I could just change gears a little bit and kind of stay away from WWF and some awesome laundry stories and go to world class a little bit because you made a huge name for yourself in Texas with Chris Von Eric, the Von Eric family. And I just wanted to kind of get your, your mindset when you were in world class because that fan base down there was, was so rabid, so good, so loyal. What was it like down there in world class? Well, it was, and I'm not being braggadocious when I say this, but uh, it was like being a movie star. It really was. You could not go out of your house. I couldn't go to the grocery store by myself. I couldn't go to the shopping malls or anything like that because all these people were hollering and carrying on it. But like you said, it, it was a wrestling extravaganza that was so over with the people down there. They loved Carrie. They loved me. They loved... Uh, the the brothers and stuff like that, and uh, it was it was quite an experience, really. You know, you had to keep your wits about you because if you didn't, you know, you make a fool out of yourself. But uh, it was it was a lot of fun, and uh, we we went to Israel when I was down there, and 
what an experience that was. We're all on the plane. Let me back up and say, if you've got, how do I put this? If you've got three years of tapes going to your country and never being able to see this person, and you find we flew into Tel Aviv, and when we got there, everybody got off the front of the plane. They took us off the back of the plane. There was over 50,000 people there at the airport. They were screaming, carrying on, going nuts, you know, and I had long hair, and they were pulling my hair and everything else, and, it, you know, but uh, you couldn't go anywhere except the bathroom by yourself. That's honest to God truth. And uh, it was, I mean, you always had two bodyguards. They had what they called the Mossad. They must be the bad boys in Israel. But anyway, they were there with us, and they made sure that we never got in any trouble or anything like that. And uh, they had jewelry stores there, and we went in, and they would give us gold bracelets and stuff like that. Which their bracelets are like 18 and 20 karat gold, where ours are like 14 or whatever karat gold. But it, it was it was quite an experience to be over there, and uh, the most beautiful women in a place called Haifa, the northern part of Israel. And uh, you would be uh, aghast at, at yourself when you saw some of these women look crazy. And, they, and, you know, they were all looking at us like, wow, there they are. Well, here we are. But it was a lot of fun. It really was. I mean, it's, like I said, I wouldn't take for all the experiences I've had. I've, I've been a lot of different places. And uh, it was... I was very fortunate to be able to do what I did. There you go. <laughs> Such a great territory, and that's cool. You guys, you guys go to Israel and you know, really become just international rock stars, as opposed to being a rock stars down there in the sportatorium. But I wanted to ask you about this sportatorium itself, because when you watch tape, you don't really know. You're like, you know, not that that it's not a you know a great legendary arena, but you know, you hear that there's no air condition, that it's, you know, that it's not really the nicest place and stuff like that. But can you tell us a little bit more about the sportatorium down there in Dallas? It was not a real big place. It probably held maybe, I don't know, 3,500, 4,000 people, something like that. It was all kind of in the round type wooden benches. And it had been there since Moby Dick was a minute. I'm telling you, it has been there forever. And, uh, you go out there, and you could just feel the excitement in the air, you know, because uh, it was the people were so into it, you know, and our TV show was so strong that it, I mean, it was a sellout everywhere you went, and uh, we did big business. It was, you know, like I said, it, it, it was an old, old building, but we didn't care. We had a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> Big time memories for you down there is definitely a, a, basically a, a big time feud for you guys. Bobby and Dennis Condry, obviously Cornetta as well, but feuding with the Midnight Express, always known as being just amazing workers, amazing talent. What was it like mixing it up with those guys? Did you, uh, you know, you like working with them? Did you enjoy the chemistry you had? Did you always feel like you had good matches with them? Oh, we had a great time with them, and they were like water bugs. They just zip, 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 zip all over the ring like that, you know. And Ricky and Robert both, they'd be grinning at me because I'd be trying to keep up with them. And hell, I couldn't do it, but I tried, you know. So it was it was a lot of fun. 
And uh, they they were a great talent. They really, really were. So that's all I can say about them. <laughs> and obviously at this point, the Kabuki, great Kabuki, you, you're teaming with him, and then you start a feud with him. That's one of the pretty memorable feuds for you down there. What was it like working with Kabuki at the time? Uh, he, he spoke perfect English, for one thing, which made that life a lot easier for me. But uh, what a great talent. He had great timing. He had a great ability to, to make the people believe in him. And uh, I learned a lot from him. I really did, you know. And uh, I didn't see him for years, and I saw him again one time at the Coffee Island Club, and he said, oh, my old friend, how are you? And it was great. It really, really was. I worked with some, I worked with all the greats at one time or another. You name them, I was in the ring with them. And that, that was a big pleasure for me. Some real underrated guys, too, like Gino Hernandez and Chris Adams. I've seen them as a dynamic duo. Those guys were pretty underrated. Do you feel like a lot of the guys from world class were almost under the radar, almost underrated a bit? Well, it just depends on who you talk to and which magazine you read and uh, what was in the newspapers at the time as to who was rated and underrated as far as I'm concerned. Because I thought, you know, enable to be able to get there and do what we had to do, you know, and just like being in New York, and they, you, know, you had a chance to get up there, wow, you did it, you tried to do your best. And all these guys did the same thing down there, you know. It was just a different world. But it was a fun world. Like I said, I wouldn't take anything for it. It's like being a, a Northeast guy, a lot of the world-class guys are probably just a little underrated as far as the fans up, up where I am, up in the you know, New Jersey area. I feel like perhaps some of those guys are underrated. Even a guy you feel with, like Hollywood John Tatum, I, I, you know, maybe the normal fan up here wouldn't necessarily know him. Would you agree that a guy like him might be under the radar as far as maybe Northern fans not really appreciating some of these great legends of world class? Probably because they didn't know him. You know, they didn't watch watch him work. You know, John was great, and he had Missy with him. And I kept looking at her big, you know what? But anyway, she was a great gal. But, I mean, they, we had a lot of fun. I was with Sunshine, and he had her, and we we ran that took into the ground. But if people loved it, and they kept coming to see it. But John, he had a good timing. He really was. He was a big guy, too, like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, something like that. He could do it. He could do it all. But like you said, the people up north wouldn't appreciate it because they didn't know him that well. That, that was, I mean, unless they watched our TV show. Yeah. <clears throat> now, also there at, at the point in time, obviously under a little bit of a different name, but the Dingo Warrior, aka the Ultimate Warrior. What were your thoughts on him? Did you see potential there? Did you just, you know, kind of think he was just this big bustle-bound guy that wasn't that great of a worker? Did you even foresee him, you know, being loved by Vince and WWF and obviously, you know, go on to have a great career? I worked, his real name is Jim Helwig, God rest his soul now, but I mean, I used to, I would show him things and he never quite clicked with them. The only thing that clicked to me was that magnificent body he had and that's what got him over you know I mean I didn't think he was that great of a worker but like I said he energized the people with the, the energy he put out to them 
when he went to the ring, and they just went nuts over it. So, therefore, you don't always have to be a great worker to get over with the people. They have to believe in you, and that's what it was with him. But uh, he was a nice guy. I used to tell him all the time, we would room together, and he would be kind of depressed about this and that. I call it Dr. Depression. He started laughing. I said, Jimmy, I'll guarantee you. I said, I knew my run was coming to an end up there. I said, I guarantee you by the end of next year, you'll be a world champion. All BS, Scott. That's not going to happen. By God, he was. And that's the way it was. I mean, I could tell who has talent, who doesn't have talent. And this kid, he... He learned how to work. He learned. I guess a lot of the guys showed him a lot of things that I didn't show him. But I mean, he he was he got over great with the people. It's a shame he had to die as such a young man. Definitely, and I feel like his charisma really carried him far. And any time he was in, had to be in a big match, whether it be a main event of WrestleMania, felt like he always showed up, and he, and he always got the crowd pumped and. A few WrestleManias in a row, he had the best match in the cards. I mean, he definitely um, could pull his own weight in in the ring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he got over his his energy that he expounded to the people got him over, to me. I mean, because there he was. You know, he's probably making a couple million dollars for WrestleMania or something like that. I have no idea what they make on like that. I know I got a good payday when I wrestled in the Survivor Series. And I thought, wow, if I get this, I can't imagine what the guy's on top get. So, he was the way it was. That was life in the big time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, when you left yeah. World Class and headed to the WWF, obviously, you know, you're going to get more money, things like that. But was it bittersweet leaving? Uh, I, I missed, you know, because I grew up in Texas, I missed being in Texas, and it was a little bit bittersweet, but I got up there, and I'll never forget my first entrance to it, I flew into Buffalo, New York, and there must have been a hundred wrestlers there, I never saw so many of them, you know, and a lot of them were just there to put guys over like I was, and, uh, but I never forget, I was sitting there, who was I talking to, oh, I can't remember that, but all of a sudden, you know, you feel like somebody's standing behind you, I turn around, and it was Hulk Hogan. And I, I stood up. I said, how you doing, Terry? Well, I mean, that was a drug. He said, great. He said, you won't remember this. He said, but when you were wrestling in Florida, the first in the 70s, he said, I was with a rock band, and we used to come watch you guys all the time. I said, I, I, said, I remember you tall, skinny, blonde. I said, you filled out a little bit, didn't you? He started laughing. You know, he was a nice guy. He really was. I've got so many stories. I, I could sit here for hours, hours and tell you stories. But uh, I don't know how long your show is, but <laughs> you just shut me up and turn me off whenever you get through. Love it. And I, I love the Hogan stuff. Did you, at, you know, obviously at the point where you saw him, he was this huge, gigantic megastar. But were you shocked that he kind of, not that he just not only remembered you, but he, you know, also paid you kind of a pretty big compliment, saying he was a fan of you. Was he? He was what? I'm sorry, I didn't catch all that. Say that again. Were you shocked? Were you shocked at all that he not only you know he's a huge megastar, but he 
being very complimentary of you, saying that he was a big fan of you and used to see you wrestle back in Florida? Uh, yeah, I, I guess in a way, you know, but I figured, you know, I'm up here too. I said, you're the one making the big bucks, but, you know, I appreciate it. I mean, every once in a while, he do something with me. Like uh, one time we were in Des Moines, Iowa, we had to go up to Springfield, Illinois. So, you know, when you go to TV, they have a stack of tickets a mile high that you got to, you know, for the, this show, you got this airplane, this airplane, and so on and so forth. And he said, just, he said, forget that. He said, you and Big Boss Man and Hercules Hernandez and I are going to fly. I said, what are we going to do? He said, grab your bags. We walked out the back door. Here was a chauffeur. Grabbed our bags, put them in the trunk. We all got in the limo, went to the airport. There was a Learjet waiting for us. We got on it, flew into Springfield. There was another chauffeur there. He grabs the bags. He says, Mr. Hogan, what time would you like to go to work out? He looked at us and said, 10 o'clock sign okay? Sure. And that he was the walking commodity. He made them so much money, you can't believe. Unbelievable. And he made a lot of money, too. But, uh, I mean, he was just, every once in a while, he would do something like that. And that was, I thought that was nice of him. You know, I guess he liked me or something. I don't know. You know, and I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't see him for years. And when I came down here, Clearwater's real close to St. Petersburg, and he had a meet and greet thing, and people were paying exorbitant money to get his autograph and pictures and stuff like that. And I'm standing outside with a couple of my buddies from down here, and I said, "Tell the guy at the door." I said, "Tell, tell Hulk I'm here." He turned around and looked. He said, "Come on in, come on in." I walked in there, and my buddies were looking at me like, "What's going on?" And I said. A lot of water's gone under the bridge, brother. He said, it sure has. He said, it's good to see you. I said, it's good to see you, too. And uh, just, he was married to his second wife. What a beautiful woman she is. But anyway, it, it, he was nice about that. And I thought, you yeah, sometimes people are nice. <laughs> you know. Hmm. That was that. Always good, always good to hear some good stuff about the Hulkster, especially with, uh, you know, some some of the negative stuff that that was going around. It's always good to hear some good stuff about the Hulkster because uh, without him, I don't know uh, if Vince is quite in the position that he's in today. No, you're right. Absolutely right, yeah. He, he's a very nice man, you know, the Hulk is, and uh, can't take that away from him. <laughs> so. You got some great stories. I mean, rooming with Warrior, drinking with Andre, being a Hogan's buddy. But I got to ask you, I didn't know this about you. You spent some time in the UWF in Japan, which if a lot of fans don't know, um, it's almost like a shoot-style league where, where it's very physical. It almost is, is to the point where it's overly stiff, and it, and it looks like it's you know everything is real, and it's a real working style. Almost looks like what MMA would look like today. What was it like yeah. in, in UWF in, in Japan? It's just like shocking to hear that you wrestled there. Yeah, I uh, I went there three or four different times. I worked for Giant Baba. I've got pictures working with him, like a flea on an elephant's ass. Anyway, uh, the guys they did, I think they were trying to impress Baba. You know, they would be real stiff and like that. Now, this one guy, I'm laying on my side on the timetable, and he comes off the top and lands on me, and I thought he broke my ribs. After I got my 
wits about me again. I grabbed the chair, walked in the ring. I said, by God, I don't even be on the other side of the world, but I'm going to beat you half to death. He understood what I was saying. I went, wham, hit him over the head, and grabbed him, threw him out. He didn't come back in the ring because he knew I was pissed. But that, that's the way they were. They worked real stiff, real snug, or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, but they once they get, got to know you, the first time I was there, they didn't know me, so they didn't know what the hell was going to happen. And uh, they just were kind of leery and stiff, you know. And I finally talked with them. I said, look, guys, he said, we're all, I said, we're all here to make a living. I don't want to beat you to death, and you don't want to beat me to death because we won't be able to get in the ring the next day. And we got, it got over. They understood what I said. So there you go. Ah, it's raining down here again. Man, can you believe this rain? Phew. It's been raining since the sun it's came been- up this morning. I'm sorry. It feels like it's never ending with the rain. It's uh, it's pretty crappy the last couple of days. Yeah. Where are you at now? Are you in New Jersey? I'm up in I'm up in Asbury Park, New Jersey. I'm sure you've wrestled there a few times. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's true. I did. It, it was a lot of fun. Isn't that where Bruce Springsteen was from, or something like that? Yep. And uh, one of your former opponents, Bam Bam Bigelow, also from Asbury Park, New Jersey. Oh, oh Scotty. What a great guy he was. I used to get in the ring with him, and I'd make him laugh all the time. He said, if you don't quit doing that, I'm going to beat you to death. And I'd <laughs> just to piss him off, but it, it was a lot of fun. I always had a lot of fun with all the guys. I, I never had anybody upset with me or mad at me or anything like that. So, anywho... That was, I, I, it's a shame he had to die. Hell, they're all dying. I wake up every morning checking my pulse if I'm still here. You know, I keep thinking, geez. <laughs> but it's funny. No. Now, you know, you've literally wrestled. If you really look at your career and, like, all the different territories, you mentioned Florida. Obviously, we were talking about WWF and World Class and a little bit of Japan. But you have you know, like a territory that sticks out to you as a favorite that we haven't talked about yet. Like, did you enjoy Memphis? Uh, I know you worked a little bit for the AWA. There's so many different places. Is there something that sticks out to you that we haven't mentioned yet? Uh, not to my knowledge, you know. We're going back a lot of years, and I'm trying to get the dust off my brain to remember all this stuff. But, uh, you know, I think Dallas was the one place that, that I really enjoyed the most. I mean, it's doesn't really answer your question, but I mean, that's the place that stands out with me. You know. Obviously, world class is definitely you know near and dear to your heart, big in your career. I wanted to mention just a, um, a couple guys that that you worked with, whether it was in uh, Southwest or whether it was AWA, and even in WBF. I wanted to mention uh, Tully Blanchard. Just because it seems like going through your career, you guys always seem to wrestle each other. Obviously, Texas boys, kind of uh, from uh, similar backgrounds. What were your thoughts on working for Tully? Because it seemed like almost everywhere you went for a period of time, you'd end up wrestling him. Yeah, it. Uh, Tully was a different breed of cat. He really was. And when I found out he became a preacher, I thought that. I'm sure God doesn't have him on the front row with him. But, I mean, because, I mean, a lot of things I could say would not be nice, but Tully was always nice to me because I, I enjoyed working with me. And 
he, uh, how do I put this? He just had this kind of smart-ass attitude about everything, you know, because his father was a promoter there in San Antonio, and we were making them big money, big money. And uh, I guess it kind of went to his head. So, but, like I said, I went to, uh, we were in Hawaii one time, walking on the beach, you know, and he started his attitude thing. I said, Tully, don't give me your BS. I said, I know who you are and what you do. He started laughing. After that, we were fine. You know, he, he was, because he would treat some of these guys like, like dirt. And I guess because he's a preacher now, he can forgive his sins or something like that. I don't know. But he was different. That's about all I can say about Tully Blanchard. <laughs> now, as we start we to hit the wind down and and wind it down a bit here, I'm just always curious because, like I said, you you wrestled so many different places, wrestled so many different guys. I mean, the Ric Flairs of the world, the Andre the Giants of the world, Ultimate Warrior, all these big names and all these great stars. Do you have some favorite matches that really stick out above others? Uh, yeah, I wrestled, uh, what was his name? Leo Burke from Canada. My first hour match. Hold on, I gotta put my, plug my phone back in, okay? <laughs> Hold on just a second, I'll tell you the story. Okay, you still there? You still there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yep. Okay. Yeah, I, it, 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 it's funny because... I, I'd never wrestled an hour match before. <clears throat> and uh, I'm sitting there thinking, how the hell am I supposed to do this? Dory Funk Jr., who was the king of the hour matches, him and Jack Briscoe, I used to love to watch those guys work. But he said, Scott, make it six ten-minute matches. Do a few false finishes in the middle and then... Whatever you do when you go home is what we used to call it, and uh, you'll uh, you'll be all right. And I, I told Leo that he said, "Okay." So we did, and it went great. The people loved it, you know. But I wanted to talk about one match that I had with, on a different subject. There was a man by the name of Johnny Valentine. Everybody knows who his son Greg is, and I had never met John. So we're in High Point TV, and George Scott was the booker. And he said, Scott, how much do you know about Johnny Valentine? I said, nothing really. I said, I know he's a big guy. He's a big star here. He said, well, fight for your life. And push me through the curtains. I said, what? We get out there, and he is blistering me. I mean, wham, shots to the stomach, to the back, to the chest. To the legs. I mean, you wouldn't have it, you know, in the eyes or the groin or anything like that. And he hit me one time. I went out on the apron. And we had like a 15-minute or 20-minute match on TV, which was a long time back then. I'm laying there, and I am thought to myself, you know, by God, I'm 1,500 miles away from Texas. I ain't going to let anybody take, care, take advantage of me like this. He's talking to... Uh, the Johnny, he's got his back to me, and he's talking to Angelo Martinelli, who was the, the referee. And he's 
I get up. I reach. He had long blonde hair. I reached over. I packed him over the the top rope, and I hit him as hard as I ever hit a man with my forearm across the chest. And he went, "Oh, I love it." Come to find out, he's sadomasochistic. He loved to get hit. Loved it. I oh thought, "Are God. you out of your flip?" Yeah, are you out of your flipping mind? But he, uh, after that, it was just. You know, like feathers and pillows, you know, we were fine. He just wanted to, because I was new and young, I hadn't even wrestled for maybe two or three months. He wanted to see if I could take it and what I would do. The old timers back then would do that. They'd beat the living quiz out of you just to see if you could take it. And if you could, you know, fine, you're one of the boys. If you couldn't do it, they would blister you, break your nose. I had my nose broke nine times, but I always got it back in place. But, uh, it was it was a different time of life in wrestling back then. You know, the guys did things different. We had uh, like Wahoo McDaniels. I wrestled him one night, and honestly, guy, and he and I were friends. We get in that ring, and he had these hands like catcher's mitts anyway, and he waffled me with those things, and I went, "Son of a, you know what?" But I came back on him, and he, he said afterwards, he said, "Good match, kid." Good match. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, uh, you some of these guys I work with, you would never believe how they were in the ring. Mick Mockwinkle. I wrestled him up in Colorado Springs one night. And I picked him up and gave him what we used to call a European backbreaker. A guy come off the rope, you hook your right arm around his waist, grab his left leg, lift him up, and drop him across your knee. All the, all's fine, well, and good. Now, Nick's about 260 at the time, and I'm about that. But for some reason, my leg didn't hold up, and I went to the right. John, I'm telling you what. I drank a fifth of Jack Daniels, took three Percocet, and a bottle of aspirin, and I still couldn't get the pain. I had to go to the doctor. My whole leg had turned black before it just, because my left knee was stationary on the mat, my right leg was up. When it went down like that, it tore loose my groin. And oh, I thought I should have been a dentist instead of doing You know, but it was, it was excruciating. And, and, and Nick, we were supposed to go through an hour. I said, Nick, cover me. What? Cover me. God damn. I mean, pardon me. There I go again. Anyway, I said, cover me because I can't go anymore. And they helped me out of the ring like that. But that, that was one of the worst things that ever happened to me in wrestling. I've got, like I said, I've got hours and hours and hours I could talk to you about this stuff. And if you're up there when we do the autograph thing, I'll, I'll sit and talk to you and carry on and you'll laugh your tail off about some of it. But uh, There was a lot of great guys wrestling. There was a lot of guys that knew what they were doing. And when I was young... They would tell me how to move, how to talk, how to walk, you know, and that's what made me whatever I was in wrestling, simply because these guys took the time and patience to say, Scott, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to do it, and this is when you need to do it. And you never forgot things like that. A prime example, I'm sitting in Los Angeles, and uh, I walk down to peek between the curtains to watch the matches, and here's Lou Fez, world champion many times over. He's watching the first match. I said, Lou, what are you doing? I said, watching the match. I said, why? He said, 
You can always learn something, kid, from the from everybody else's match. He said, and you could even steal it from them and use it for yourself. I never ever forgot that. I always watched the matches simply so I could learn something new. I enjoyed what I did. It's like somebody said. I said I I couldn't wait to get up the next day to go to work because I loved to do it and I got paid for it. I loved it, you know. So, and that was me. <laughs> And, obviously, I will be there in New Jersey on June 9th in Monroe, New Jersey, at the Legends of the Ring. And I suggest to the fans, obviously myself included, because I will do this, go and meet Scott Casey with Captain's Corner. Also, if you're looking for some pre-orders, check out Captain's Corner on Facebook and also check out its free web store. That is Captain's Corner. So, Scott, I just got to say this has been a blast, but... One kind of big question for me that I always ask the, the, the guests, and especially with you since you're a long-time, 30-year veteran of the business, what do you say is kind of your, your stamp that you left behind in the business or your, or your lasting legacy that you left behind on the business? I think maybe my being kind and nice to people. You know, a lot of guys, they would just want to, at the matches, they would get the hell out of there, go somewhere, have a drink or whatever they were going to do. And uh, I think because an old-timer told me one time, Sputnik Monroe, he said, treat the people the way you want to be treated. And that's what I tried to do. And that's what I would hope that my legacy would say about it. And next of all, I want to say, please forgive me, fans, if you're listening, because of my verbiage, sometimes I get carried away a little bit, and I apologize deeply. Okay? <laughs> that is uh, no problem at all, because uh, we've heard a lot worse on the show, so uh, no problem there. Okay, John. Listen, it's been a blast talking to you. And I can't wait to meet you. Yes, uh, only a few weeks away now, and I can't wait to meet you. June 9th, Monroe, New Jersey at Legends of the Ring, along with Nick over at Captain's Corner. So, Scott, thank you so much. It has been an absolute honor. Uh, My pleasure, too. Thank you very much. Appreciate you calling. Mr. X won't stay in that long. It's got to be uncomfortable with that mascot. Hip lock, no. Oh, what a beautiful high reversal on the hip lock. Really got his hip deep in it. Underneath there and got Mr. X way up in the air. Rivera to me has always lacked the ability to finish a guy off. Right? Yeah, just when you think he's. Oh, look at that! Play to oh, the chin! It could be right here, though. You know, he's Jose Luis waiting patiently. Look out! Drop kick off the second turnbuckle. Hooks the leg. Get the shower ready. Beautiful move there by Rivera. Got him right on the button with that drop kick. Just when I said he didn't have the ability to put a guy away, he made a liar out of me and put Mr. X away. Let's get the official word. Ladies and gentlemen, your winner, Jose Luis Rivera. Very impressive victory for Jose Luis Rivera here in one of the meccas, Toronto's Maple Leaf Gardens. Let's go back in time only moments ago to our replay. And boy, he was perched up there, just biding his time. Mr. X doesn't have a clue, Red, as to where Jose Luis is. And then look at this dropkick. Right on the butt. Oh, right on the sternum. Knocked him right into the middle of next week. Hooks the leg for good measure. Easy three count. 
Jose Luis Rivera on the winning track again here in the World Wrestling Federation. Joining us on the line tonight is a former a WWF superstar. You may know him as the Shadow or the Conquistador number one. He had a 10-year WWF run, and he was also a former two-time AWF America's champion. He is Jose Luis Rivera. Jose, welcome to the two-man power trip. Thank you, thank you. How are you people doing? We are very good now that we have you on the line, and obviously the, the big point that we want to mention and the big talking point is the Legends of the Ring in Monroe, New Jersey on June 9th. You will be along with Nick at Captain's Corner. You can go to Captain's Corner Facebook page or Captain's Corner's Weebly store as well. But, Jose, how do you feel about being in New Jersey on June 9th for Legends of the Ring? I'm very happy. That would be great. Uh, I know it's going to be great. It's going to be good. Last of friends going to be there. I'm going to be there with a shadow gaming, a friend that competes. So every, all the, the gaming that I make, they're going to be there because me, Jose Rivera, Black Demon, Red Demon, Black Shadow, Conquistador, uh, you name it. We are going to be there. <laughs> Is the Northeast a place that's special to you, especially you made a ton of, you know, uh, for big name, wrestled a ton of matches in the Northeast. Is the Northeast special to you in any way? Yes. Uh, we do a lot of matches in there, and uh, everything was great, you know. There's a lot of superstars that I'm working with by that time, and everything was, uh, you know, kind of, kind of complaint. It was great, great, great. And obviously, being in the Northeast and being in the WWF for 10 years, whether it was New Jersey, New York, you spent a ton of time in the Northeast. What was kind of, you know, the, the experience like as you first headed in to the then known as WWF as the Red Demon? Yeah, that's right. We went to WWF first. And uh, uh, there, like Juan, as Juan Lopez, that was my first game when I was there. And that was uh, uh, late 70, I think it was 79. After I came from uh, NWA, I was in NWA in Tampa for seven, eight months. And then I came back to New York and I went to WWE. I don't spend too much time by that time with uh, Juan Lopez. Then I went back and uh, we started doing uh, Mac Rivera. And then we started with... Uh, Black Demon, and uh, that's all. That's all unit that I came out with, and they let me use it. You know, everything was uh, great. And what was your experience like working for Vince McMahon Sr., who obviously was the then owner and president and, and you know operator of the WWF? Yeah, he was a great guy. He was a guy who gave me a brace that I could do the. Be in WWF, and uh, every time that I talked to him, he was, you know, he told me, Don't worry about it, you're going to be here. I'm going to give you work. You're going to be with me. I'm going to take care of you. He was a great man, you know. I'll be there, and he, he take care of me. He told me to do this. He gave me advice. The old men do. Now, what is like kind of the best piece of advice you can get from somebody like that? Because he's highly, highly successful. You know, obviously the top promoter uh, of his day, and obviously he's got a wealth of experience. 
What was the best advice you got from Vince Senior? Well, the first thing he told me that I was Max Rivera. He told me you have to change your name uh, because I'm Max. I'm Max Man. That's my name. You are a Latino. You are from Puerto Rico. You have to get some Latin name. I say, Bingo, that's that's my real name. He say, No, no, no. We we need you with a Latin name so you could bring some Latin people with. So I was thinking, I say, Well. I should use Jose Luis Rivera. He say Jose Luis Rivera. That's a, that's a Spanish. That's Puerto Rican. I say, well, we are three million people in Puerto Rican. Three three million Puerto Rican and two million of them. The name is Jose. What's your thing? Is a Puerto Rican name or He says, <laughs> start laughing. He start laughing. And he say, okay, okay, we go with that. So that's when I start with uh with Jose Luis Rivera. He told me he gonna use me good, he wanna take care of me, so you know, that was that was a great thing. It was a great man. It was interesting the way the names kind of come about. You never know how a wrestler gets a specific name and obviously when you first got there, whether it be the Red Demon or Mac Rivera, obviously he wanted you to change it. Interesting how, you know, that came about. Was that kind of common at that point that the wrestler can actually kind of give them a name and then they run with it? Yeah. Uh they you came with a name and they if they don't they don't like it, they give you another name. Oh, uh, they use this use this one is I think we'll be better for you then. And you know, they give uh, all those those names. The the one that uh that I changed my name to Jose that's what because the old man told me too, you know. Then I start doing the the gimmicks. I talked to Bin to Bini and I say, Listen, I got this uh this gimmick and uh, this and that, how you like it? I say, go ahead, use it. Let's see how it works. And then we, we came with a, uh, the 14 was a black demon. So I, I use it. Then they need a guy to make a titan with, with Randy as a shadow. They asked me if I want to do titan with Randy. I say, yes, why not? So we started titan. Then uh, we start with uh, Randy and I, which we went, we went around a little while, and then uh, when Randy left, I say to Vince if I could make a titan with uh, Jose Estrada. So he told me, what, what kind of titan? I said, well, some, some lighting, lighting, I can titan, I don't know, something. Uh, so he told me, okay, let's do something with the shine, with shining, shining, what, shining gold. I say, okay. So we start making the... the the gold offer for the conquistador. So we we came with the with the with the outfit. We came with everything. So when we get there, so we don't got no name. So they they were they was looking for the name. So our fingers say, okay, I got a name for you. I say, what kind of name? Are uh, you gonna be the conquistador? Is the conquistador? What is the conquistador? What it had to do with our with that? Nobody. We're gonna push you the conquistador, and that's the way we came the conquistador. And we make a lot of history with that, you know. We wrestle all the top tight team in the WWF, and uh, we went all all over, all over with those uh, conquistador gimmicks. And that was the era of the great tag teams in the WWF as well. And it's interesting how that team kind of got put together, like you mentioned. Did was any of that like kind of Vince's idea of pairing you guys together, or, or was that really just you guys saying that you wanted to be together as a team, you and Estrada? 
Well, I came with the idea, and I talked to Strada. And he said, well, you talk to Vince, because you got a lot of confidence with Vince. He talked to you a lot, so talk to that man and see what he say. So he like it. So he say, okay, I like it. Let's go with it. And we started looking for the, the outfit, and we came with a gold, just gold outfit. And uh, they came out with a name. And we went with, with all of those uh, big names tight in, and uh, we went to the Survivor City in 88. That was the great one. Such a memorable match and such a memorable moment. I, I do want to go back to Survivor Series 88 in just a minute, but I wanted to mention the outfits, like you were saying, and the masks and everything else. Was that your idea to put you guys in masks, or was that their, their idea that to kind of cover the faces and keep you guys in masks? No, that was my idea. With uh, all those gimmicks that I came with in masks, that was my idea. And... uh they like it. They say, okay, well, I made, I made what? Conquistador, Black Demon, Red Demon, Black Shadow. I do the, what else I do? Uh, I do it a little while, Mr. X. But that was a little while because they told me to, they're going to pay me David on it. So I do another uh, Mr. X for a couple of, not too long, but I do a couple of matches with that name. And you and Jose Estrada definitely had some great chemistry. I mean, the Conquistadors were a great underrated tag team, especially in that era. Did you know that you guys were going to have chemistry right off the bat? Was that something that you kind of just relied upon? Well, we, I've been with Estrada since 1973. You know, we, we went to the same team. We pressed it together all those years. And uh, we, then we went, I went one side, went to the other way. So then we get back in uh, WWE. That's why we, we get together. And we used to do everything together. We write together. We stay at the room together. We do everything together. And that's why we came with ideas. When, when the shadow uh, came out, so that's why I asked Bing to put us as a titan. So he told me to get a gimmick, so we get a gimmick. He liked it. I put the lane, and there we go. Crazy in that era to kind of have that many good tag teams within just the WWF. I mean, without around the world, it was great tag teams. But when you specifically think about the WWF, my God, there were so many great tag teams. And when Survivor Series 88 hits and you get all those tag teams in that one match and you have that match survival, and the final two yeah. come down to the conquistadors and the powers of pain. Was that surprising to you that you guys were going to be the last tag team in there, you know, before the you know before the finish of the match? Well, that was a surprise because I remember Jesse the Barrio Ventura. He said that we we would be the first one to go out, the first one that's going to go out of the ring, and that that would be the conquistador. And we made it different. We stayed to the last. It was uh, amazing because it was quite surprising with all those teams. So I guess uh, Jesse the Body was dead wrong on that one. I mean, we we know that. Yeah. Then he came to the dressing room. He's, uh, he congratulates all. And, uh, hey, I thought you guys was the first one to go out, but you, you, you proved me wrong. Say, that's the way it is, man. <laughs> so he was a good friend to Jesse the Body. All, all those guys were great with us, you know. We work with all the people there. Uh, we work with Masherman, Hulk Hogan, uh, J.Y.D., all those big names we work. 
we were within. And especially the the powers of pain at that point, who they were really trying to get over as 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 a big force, and obviously Mr. Fuji turns. So you guys were a major part of that angle and a major part of Survivor Series 88. Did you guys kind of, you know, feel a, a lot of momentum at, at that point? Because that's kind of a, you know, a big spot to be put in, especially on that big card. Yeah, yeah, it was great. We are talking to Jose and I said, well, we, we've been there to the last, and we was there about an hour or so on the wrestling, and um, it was uh, all action, you know. There was no no stop. There was all action with all those guys. We've been up and down, up and down here and there, and, uh, and they, they was, that was great. I still watching that match, and I still bring me memory, you know. So cool, and I remember being shocked when I watched it. I remember being shocked that you guys lasted as long as you did. Now, as far as the other tag teams, obviously in that match, but the other tag teams that you guys worked in tag matches in that era, just always think of teams like the Killer Bees and the Rougeau brothers. Did you enjoy working with guys that were so technically sound in the ring? Did you mesh well with guys like Killer Bees and the Rougeaus? Yeah, yeah. We all, all uh, they all get the same chemical. You know, we, we, we've been okay with all of them. Uh, we showed uh, Killer Bees, uh, Shawn Michael, Mar- Mari all those people we worked with. And uh, there was, you know, we get a, like it, it came, it came so easy when you walk through the guy. Though it was real pro, you know, it was great. And if you think about it, I mean, th- that's just like the tip of the icebergs. The British Bulldogs, the Strike Force, Demolition, Hard Foundation. These are all teams. Stallions, even kind of an underrated team. So many yeah. great tag teams that you guys work with. Were you kind of feeling at the time? It's like, wow, anybody we have to wrestle here based on the tag division, we're going to pull off a good match. Yes. Uh, we was, uh, Stuart and I used to take, to do all the, you know, all the things that we had to do. We told the guy, well, this is, this is what we want to do. And uh, what's cool, you know, because they, they, they hear. When we talk, they hear, they listen to us. And they, they, they came in, the, the match was so great. They We even get bonus from the office when, when we wrestled the, uh, uh, Mari Janeri and uh, Sean Michael, they were surprised when they got the paycheck. They say, hey, they give me a bonus for the match. I say, well, that's mean that we, we did it right. We did it good. And we started getting some, some extra money for that. <laughs> you know, that, that was great for them and for us too, you know. That's great. They're kind of rewarding you for having great matches. Was that commonplace yeah. at, at that time? They kind of reward you for really performing well? Yeah, but for that time, that was well, the first time when we get some extra money and we asked for them, they they found another. That's a bonus for the match. That was a hell of a match, and you guys did it right, and we, we give you something extra. I said, well, we did it right every time, so we could get more money for them. <laughs> was there a team, would it be the Rockers, or was there or another team, maybe the Hart Foundation, was there a team that you guys really meshed well and a team that you really liked to work with at that point? As a yeah, the, we do a great match with uh, Gianelli and uh, Shawn Michael. He came out so great. Every match that was great, that was good. But the other guys, too, you know, we were with uh, John Stallion, we were with uh, Russo Brothers, 
We were with a JYD, and uh, remember one time they put JYD, uh, the animal still, and the two killer bees against uh, the Bolshevik and uh, the Conquistador. And that was some crazy match. That was a crazy match. So many great stars in one match. And obviously, they, the roster was full with so many great wrestlers at that point. It's just crazy to think. And with you guys, you could put, you know, work in there with Powers of Pain and make them look good. You could work there with the Rockers yeah. make them look good. Even a team like the Bushwhackers, you guys could make look good. Was that something you guys took a lot of pride in, your in-ring work? Yeah, that was another thing, the, the Bushwhackers, you know. They they are so funny, so we have to keep counsel. And we got we used to have a good match with them too. I still talk to Lou William, and they remember we remember all those those matches, and we start laughing about it too. And uh, the, the John Stallion, we we used to do with all those guys. We we do the great matches. Uh, I don't got no complaint for either one. And then I rest of uh uh Ultimo Warrior. I was wrestling it by myself so that was a single match and all those guys and uh they that was good, they was good, I can't complain. That was a great years. Something um uh, that I remember and I look back I say, Wow, that was amazing. That was amazing. And it's crazy to think that you basically from nineteen eighty two to about nineteen ninety one, I mean you had a ten year run in WWF not too many people can say that. When you look at that 10-year run, were you surprised that it lasted that long when you see so many people coming in and out of the door at that point? Yes, I saw, I saw a lot of people came in and now, and uh, I was still in there. I was still there, and they say, well, it's unbelievable. You know, I went out of there because I hurt my shoulder. There, so that was a was hard. I wasn't much with uh, uh, Mr. Perfect. That was in Alabama, some Binghamton, Alabama, and it was, was, and I had my shoulder. And that's it, man. It took, took me almost two years to get back in shape. That was the last thing that uh, it was hard. I was very, very bad shape. And I said, wow. It was a simple, simple fall that I that I do from the, I went from the top row with a frame body press, hit dog. I hit my my leg with his shoulder, and I hit in the in the mat with my my shoulder play and uh, my shoulder and I was hurt. So I, from there they took me to the hospital. I remember uh, Jimmy Hart took me to the hospital, and they stayed with me all day to in the hospital until I come out. That was crazy. He was there. Crazy that a simple move like that can result in such a severe injury where, you know, you're obviously exit from the WBF and you're out of wrestling for a little bit and you never really recover for a couple of years. Is there any point in your mind where you're thinking, oh, I'm going to get healthy, I want to go back to WBF, or you kind of know that your time has passed 10 years was was quite a run? Well, I went back for a couple of, you know, they called me for a few matches, not like a steady job, but they, they, they called me, they used to call me to go there, to go here, and I used to go until I decided to come back to Puerto Rico. And I came here to Puerto Rico, and I started wrestling a, a couple of companies here in Puerto Rico. And uh, now I'm doing the convention on uh, this and that. They got uh, in Showtime, on HBO, it's the Andrew the Giant uh, 
they got something. Uh, I think it's uh, they told me it was a movie, but I don't think it's uh, what you might call it, documentary. A documentary, yeah. And they told me I don't see it yet. I see that uh, the few things are there. They they called me that I was there. You know, they say, hey, guess what? You are in the Andre the Giant documentary. I say what? Yeah, you're there. I say well, I didn't watch it, but I say wow. From all those matches that Andre had with different people, you know, all those superstars, and they put me in the in the documentary. Absolutely for something, huh? <laughs> pretty special, pretty cool. And what are your memories of working with Andre? Obviously, in the old WWF, you guys had some matches and some experience together. So, what was it like, you know, wrestling and even being on the road with a guy like that? Well, when. Uh, when I was in the, when he came to Puerto Rico, uh, when I, he came to Puerto Rico, he used to ride with me to the matches because I got a big band, uh, so he, he used to ride with me. And when I get to WWE, WWF at that time, so he still ride with me. They called me to pick him up at the hotel, and they told me to go with him there and there. So he, he, he I made a good friend with that Andre, you know. So if I wrestle with him, he take care of me. You know, well, he, he hit me hard, but not like, like he's supposed to do, you know. So that was a great memory. He, he take care of me every time, you know. I used to ride with him. We go places. I bring him back to the hotel. And next day, I pick it up. If we stay in New York or whatever. Over here in Puerto Rico, we ride every time together for the, for the matches. And he, he get along with me very, very good. Now, obviously, you know, they always say if, if he likes you, you're in good with the, with you. If he doesn't that's, like you, that's, that's bad right. news, right? That's right. <laughs> good thing that he likes you. <laughs> <laughs> Even with that, he, he gives me the shop. And then he he just let it go. I say, what? Wow. But, but he, was, he was a great guy, man. He was a great guy. And that documentary, very cool. HBO, very, very, I watched a very, very good documentary. Um, very telling of some of the stuff that he had to go through, being that big and the world kind of not being used to somebody that big and, and you know, yeah. the entities and everything else that, that he requires. I remember what time he told me to pick him up at the hotel at five o'clock. I went there 15 minutes to five. I was stay there 5.30. I stayed there. 5.45, I said, there are 6 o'clock, 6.15, here come Andre the Giant uh, down the road. I say, hey, you told me to be here at 5 o'clock. What the hell are you doing? Look the time. He just look at me and say, oh, 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 I'll be my boss. Wait for me, boss. <laughs> I say, what? Uh, it was crazy, man. I remember that. Hey, if Andre wants you to drive him somewhere, you're going to wait forever, you know, until he gets there yeah, and you yeah. take him. Yeah, just wait for him, that's it. Just stay there, wait for him. It took me almost hour and a half to wait for him, just in the parking in the side, roadside. Until he comes down the road, I'll be back, boss. Don't worry about it. Oh, oh, oh. That's the way he's like. <laughs> That is great, and it's interesting with you, not only Puerto Rico, but obviously in the WWF in New York with uh, Vince Sr., and even Vince Jr., obviously, Andre played a big role. It's interesting, kind of, you were there for 
basically Andre's run. You were there for the Bob Backlund era. You're there for the Hulk Hogan yeah. era, the rock and wrestling era. When you look back, is it crazy? You were able to kind of withstand all those different errors and be there for all those different guys, whether it's working MSG or, you know, working globally around the world? And the best thing was when I was a kid, about 17, 16, 17, I was living in Brooklyn. So I go to the garden. Every time they got a match, every 15 days they're supposed to get a match. So every time I bought the ticket, the, the day after the matches, I bought my ticket for the next show, and I'd be there every time they got a wrestling match at the Garden. I was there. I see Pedro Morales, Bruno San Martino, the Ivan Koloff, all those big guys. I was watching them, and then here I go. Here I stay in the ring watching those. I was watching uh, Jordi Anima still wrestle. I say, how the hell these people wrestle with this guy? He's so crazy. It's no way you could wrestle him. He's 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 do something that you can't believe it. And then uh, here I wrestle with uh, with Jordi Animasil. I say, wow, <laughs> unbelievable. I met Pedro Morales. He was uh, the one who told me where to go. I met him in Brooklyn when I was looking to go to start them wrestling. So he told me, go to this place. You start there. When you learn something, you go out of there and keep going. If you stay there, you never go. You never go out. Just tell them that I send you there. They will take care of you. From there, you keep going. And that's the way it is. I went there. I start there. I was there for a couple of well, maybe one year or so. When I know that I know very good, so I I left. I went some place. I went to New Jersey. I started New Jersey's own company. Then I went to Texas. From Texas, I was talking to Gary Hart. Just to, to tell me uh, that he said you want to go to Florida. I, I have a kid to go there, but he get hurt, so it's opportunity for you. I say yeah, go well, any place. So that's when I started in uh, NWA in Tampa, and uh, I was there. The Destiny uh, was there, Superstar Billy Graham, the Graham, all the. Wahuma Daniel, all those big guys, Hollywood Blonde. That was there, I was there. That was in 79, I think it was. I was a very, very young guy. So I was there with all those people, man. That was great. Yeah, I mean, Dusty, obviously, Superstar Billy Graham, Eddie Graham. You've been around uh, some of the basically all-time greats. And what was cool, what you mentioned was, you being a fan and, and you going to MSG before you be, you know became, obviously became a wrestler and being such a fan and seeing Bruno and Ivan Koloff and seeing Pedro Morales, but you actually yeah. get the opportunity to wrestle Pedro Morales as well, which has got to be kind of cool for you. Yes, he was my mentor. And here down the road, I had to wrestle Pedro Morales. So when I was in the ring, wow, it's unbelievable. He was my mentor. He told me what to do. He gave me a lot of advice. And now here I have to wrestle Pedro Morales. <laughs> was great. was great. Unbelievable. That's got to be so cool because, you know, you're a fan and you look up to these guys and all of a sudden they become your mentor and you're wrestling them. And it's got to be pretty cool to be a fan of MSG and then be somebody that's actually going to be in the ring experiencing MSG, right? I mean, that's got to be something crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then uh, when I first started there, my, my goal was to wrestle at the Garden. Yeah, that was well. When you start at the big team for every that the big arena, you have to. And uh, I see all the the 
the other wrestlers around, they they told me, oh, I'll be here for a year or so. I never wrestle in the garden. I said, well, see what happened. And uh, not too long, I was wrestling at Madison's garden. I stepped in the middle of the ring to 22,000 people. I look around, around, and I say, wow, unbelievable. What I do here, I say, I wrestled S.D. John that night, and I say, wow, unbelievable. I came here and sit down over there and watch all the wrestling, and now I'm here at the Madison Square Garden for the very first time. Wow, <laughs> unbelievable. I remember all that, you know. I I sit around in my chair and I start thinking about all those days. I say that's that's great, that's great. And it's a great. And just to be to be in a, a, in a WWE book, the encyclopedia. Yes. I've been there. In, um, I'm there like Jose Rivera, Conquistador, Black Shadow, and I think I'm there like uh, the Red Demon too. So I'm being the WWE uh, four four times in the same encyclopedia. That's it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, it's amazing to think about your run. So underrated and so under the radar. People don't realize ten year run playing all these different characters. Obviously, the encyclopedia a bunch of time. That's so cool. And then it makes me think of a great Hulk Hogan quote when he would say. If you wrestled in the garden, you know you made it in this business. And obviously, you wrestled there many, many times, and you experienced that, and you know that, especially uh, being a fan of this, of this Northeast territory. I mean, pretty amazing, pretty great run that you had. Yes, I was there when Hogan uh, beat the Iron Chief for the for the champion belt. That was great. That was great. That's something. That's when the uh, whole Mania started getting, uh, getting up. When he beat uh, the Iron Sheik at MST in January of 1984, crazy to think all those years ago that that happened. What an amazing, amazing moment, if you will. I had to ask you about this though, because I was thinking about your WWF run, and I was thinking about a boxing match that you had <laughs> against Cowboy Bob Orton, kind of leading up to Bob, uh, Bob Orton and Mr. T boxing. What were your kind of memories and thoughts of actually boxing? Well, the reason was uh, he got a boxing match with somebody else. I don't know who. Uh, Orton did a boxing match before me, and they don't like it. You know, they don't like it at all. They, they something wrong with the match that they don't they don't want to do it. They, they say there was there was no rules. So here come Lanny Papo and told businessmen that I that I that I know how to box. I said, I am, I am not a boxer. Yeah, you, you practiced with me, and you told me a like this, and you bent down, and you told me a good job. You, you know how to box, man. Go with me, uh, all time. I said, yeah, I'm not a boxer. Now, let's talk to them. And they came out and talked to me. Then came out uh, the, the Chief J. Stromberg, all They told me, they said, let, let's do this. Let's do the boxing. Okay. I said, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. But uh, we do it. And uh, it came out good. I think it was came out good. They only give me what a round. They should they should give me two, three, two, three rounds so I could do better. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of cool. It was uh, you know different for them. Obviously, they're building it up with uh, with Mr. T kind of coming in and becoming a big a big force as they went yeah. into more of the sports entertainment realm. 
But it was pretty cool, you know, the, the boxing match. And it was definitely something different and something memorable. Like, wow, I remember Jose Luis Rivera versus Bob Orton. They actually had a boxing match in a wrestling ring. And then I was with the Piper. The Piper, the show the Piper got me for the matches. I was there, and uh, I did a, I did a good job. You, you know, it was unbelievable. That's when I told the, the Piper get up. I say, I'm in the ring, go ahead. And I look at him and say, no, lady first, go here. And the, the <laughs> people were not because he got that feeling, uh, the, I guess, the feeling that he wore. So yeah. I thought he, he told him, no, lady first. So he said, oh, you. And the other people pop out. But that was so great. That was great. So many memorable moments and so many great guys you wrestled. I mean, you mentioned uh, Piper there. Obviously, the Hogan's, the Macho Man's, the Ultimate Warriors of the world, you have wrestled them all, whether you were a face or a heel. I mean, you kind of wrestled everybody. Do you, you think of yourself somewhat of, as, of as like a quiet, kind of underrated MVP? Because you're the guy that they have to plug in to make the guys look good in any kind of situation, whether it's a face, a heel, whether it's Bob Orton in a boxing match. You take pride in that role specifically of kind of, you know, enhancing the guys and making them look better? Yes, I, I think that they, we do a lot of things for them. You know, one one of these guys told me, you know what, you make your people, you make this guy that they could wear, what, $10, you you make him look like he wore a million dollars. I say, that's my job, man, to make them look good. We even go to, they put a wrestling ring in a, in the, some place that we have in Connecticut, we go there and we, they they bring some wrestlers or we teach them. After that, we have to work with them. They bring uh, out by channel. You remember that? Oh yes. They bring that. We we were with uh, the one that was uh, a little tough was a uh, big boss man. Wow, he was tough. He was uh, like we say potatoes. <laughs> we have to 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 lose him up. So they say. You you have to work with Jose the Jose Trara and Jose Luis Rivera. You we have to push you out and they give all those guys for a long time. We will say Jose, you take it now. No, no, you take. It. Uh, so so he came out good. He was a uh, big star then. After that, then we got uh, all the guys that we we have to make and you know we have to do a lot of effort to make them look good. We have to do everything we can so so they look good, so they did the people could fight and um, we was the one who suffered. We do the whole job and they take the glory, you know that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the we do it, we do it. That was our job. That is true, but you are like kind of the unsung hero making the guys look good and kind of look you know better than they could be or enhance them and get them ready. So that is, you know, an important, important role, and I feel like that's kind of underestimated um, by a lot of the fans and even a lot of the get wrestlers in the business don't realize there's that role where it's like who's going to make that person look good? You know, who's going to shine them? Who's going to kind of build them up? And and you played that role perfectly. Well, they used to call the guys in front of Jose and I, and they told them, if you can make a match with Jose Estrada or Jose Luis Rivera, that's it. You are here. You have to to make. If you can make a match with them, you don't want to make make a match with nobody. 
So we do we do the offer so they could stay there, you know. I don't know if they appreciate it or not, but we we were there with just as I say, they made them look good so so they could stay. So we do it. We do it. We we went all over the, the we went over the what do we have to do so they could make they look good so We've been up and down. We go out to, from the uh, road down. We fly here. We fly there. Wow. Great. Now, as far as your career, obviously, we talked about the exit from WWF. You made a brief stop in, in WCW for a couple matches. But you mentioned Puerto Rico, whether it be AWF or the, obviously WWC uh, with Carlos Colon. What is it like as far as, a fan perspective, looking into Puerto Rico, what is it like down there? Because you always hear about rabid fans and craziness and true, true passionate wrestling fans. Yeah, yeah. Before it was that. Now it's a little low. Now it's uh, after they do that thing with Bruce and Brody, everything went down. You know, everything was down. But before that, there was I was here. They sent me from WWF to here for uh, so that I could do. Uh, that's that one they changed my name. They sent me to Puerto Rico. They, they you you gonna spend there a year or two. I only could make six months, and I went back and convinced men that I can make it. I say no, 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 I can I can make it over there. That's the money is no good and uh, this and that. Then he told me, okay, forget it. Just came back, and that's when I stayed there. But there was a people who had, you know, <laughs> they they wire. They throw you with battle. They throw you with everything they got, and they 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 didn't get in the ring. They tried to fight, but they, they, there was a lot of a lot of half half people in there. And they, the match was good, you know, but you had to be careful. Now it's a little down. Now they start to trying to get the wrestling back up in Puerto Rico, and they they do a lot of teamwork. They have to know what to do. They they have to give the fan what they want. The fan, if you give the fan what they got, they came to see the matches. Have been proved already. And uh, it's a little, it's a lot different. Like here from uh, all the state from New York or otherwise. Now they they was now it's more calm down and because everybody know about it and uh, it's better. Uh, now it's uh. It's not like before. The, the, all the house was sold out, and a lot of people came in. Now it's a so-so crowd, and uh, you have to do a great thing so you can bring the people back. Now, as we start to wind it down a bit here, I want to ask, because obviously you work for Vince Sr. and you work for Vince Jr., it's kind of a favorite question of mine just because there's not a lot of guys that have worked for both of you. So I want to get kind of your perspective. You worked for Vince Jr. and Vince Sr. What's the difference between those two and working for them? Well, uh, the old man was more down. He, he just, he, he got a, uh, the far away that we have to go with, he got Pittsburgh PA and uh, all the, you know, uh, around New York, Connecticut area. But when Vince Jr. got the, the company, he bought from the old man, he wants to take all the whole state. He wants to take the the whole world. He was uh, greedy, like we say. I want it all. I want it here. I want it there. And he go, you know. I say this guy he ain't gonna make it. That's too much. Too much going here, going there. And uh, believe me, I say, well, this is I don't want to work. It don't gonna work. And look now, they even go to to the Middle East. 
and go to all the places down. The father one we did was in Australia. When we went to Australia with him, and there was a good trip there. And uh, Hawaii, Australia, that's where we wrestled there with WWE. And he made it. He made it. He he, he started buying a territory for an older guy. If you don't sell the territory, we go there. What the hell? And they sell it. They, they, he, he bought all the small territory around, and uh, he made WWE. What what is it now? You know. He created the monster. Yep, he created the beast, and obviously yeah. with that first WrestleMania was kind of the, the starting point to basically his global expansion and global domination. Were you shocked at that first WrestleMania? Did you think it was going to fail, or did you kind of know, like, oh, I think we're we're onto something here? That that was at the Garden, right? Yes. Yes, uh, the Garden is sold out. No matter what you got there, you know. They they allow people to go there, but then they, they do the the WrestleMania two, and then they came to WrestleMania three. Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan. I was there with a, a Spanish commentary with uh, Pedro Morales and uh, Miguel Alonso. I was doing the Spanish commentary in uh, WrestleMania three, and I saw the match <laughs> Andre and Hogan. Wow, unbelievable. You know that uh, uh, Hogan was asking Andre, what we're going to do, boss? What we're going to do, boss? Andre never told him. Don't worry about Don't worry about <laughs> That's what he said. Uh, it, came out, it came out good. That was a uh, big crowd there. I think it was 80, 83,000 or something like that. They say 93,000. So it was uh, oh, 93,000, 93, yeah. Huge, huge. Yeah. And the good thing was that I was there. <laughs> Very cool. Didn't know yeah. you were part of the Spanish announcing. I mean, that's pretty cool to be a part of a spectacle like that. Yes, I was doing in uh, a Spanish TV when we was in Poughkeepsie, New York. I was doing there. Tito Santana was doing some, some time. I was doing it. And uh, Pedro Moral and Miguel Alonso. I, w- I was there for almost two years. And the, when we came out with the conquistador, so we been told me don't do the commentary no more because they could uh, like they they gonna know who the conquistador. And I say I say we are talking here. They don't they don't gonna know that. Say, no no no, you just stay wrestle. Well, no problem. Hey no problem. And I uh, still in the wrestling and Tiro uh, Santana used to do the commentary with Pedro and uh, and Miguel. I was great. It was Now, looking back at your wrestling career, you know, obviously announcing kind of aside, but your, as far as your wrestling career, obviously we, we talked a little tiny, tiny bit about Florida, but we talked a lot about your 10-year run in the WWF, a little bit about Puerto Rico. But do you have some favorite matches that you've had in your career that really stick out? But obviously besides Pinky Stores versus the Rockers, is there some other matches that stick out as some of your favorites? You mean in WWE? Yes. Yes. Oh, well, all the matches, uh, I wrestled uh, Macho Man. I wrestled uh, Andre the Giant. <laughs> I wrestled uh, when Kim Patel, I wrestled there. I, I wrestled with uh, Greg Valentine. They would do the 
an angle in TV that he heard my lay and those of this and that one for a start. I was there, there was an answer. I was undefeated from Puerto Rico. I was a little bit undefeated until I wrestled with a, with Greg Valentine. We supposed to do something and came up with a big, how much for it. Everything stayed like that, you know. But I still working there. I've been almost 10 years in there. So it's the older guy. I wrestled almost all the guys in there. All the, the baby Faye Hill. Uh, match without the match, no problem. I was uh, Tony Atlas, uh, even uh, this guy, uh, Rocky Johnson. We wrestled Rocky Johnson, Peter Maivia. I wrestled Peter Maivia. <laughs> I was, he was there in WWE when I first started. Uh, 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 what should I go there? Juan Lopez. So he came in uh, when I wrestled Kim Patera. Uh, this guy is. Peter Mavia came to the ring and all the Jay Strong, all those guys came to 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 like to help me to because he was a very 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 rough guy and uh, you know I wrestled almost everybody there. There are people now that I don't know. They 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 new guys, but the old school. I went to all of them, all of them. And outside of the uh, WWF, do you have some favorite matches? I mean, you probably uh, have wrestled some pretty good guys in Puerto Rico as far as the Colognes and obviously Florida, uh, even Angelo Papo. You wrestled Macho Man and you wrestled Angelo Papo as well. Yeah, yeah I wrestled Angelo, his father, when I was in NWA. Uh, I wrestled him. I wrestled uh, Wahoo Daniel. I wrestled uh, uh, Hollywood Brown, well, to all those guys, I was, uh, Alan Koloff was there, the assassin, Bessie Rowe was there, uh, the Hollywood Brown, uh, Orton and his father was there as a Titan too, when I was in uh, NWA. So I met them before to get there. And they was there. Man, I mean, think about your run and all the guys you wrestled. Pretty damn uh, good career, I'd say. What would you have say if, you know, the, the book is closed, Jose Luis Rivera, um, whether it be the Brad Demon, the Black Demon, the Conquistador, the, the Shadow, Mac Rivera, Juan Lopez, I mean, all these different characters, all these different names, what would you say is your lasting legacy on the wrestling business once you put this final stamp on your career? You mean the best, the best one, you mean? Like, what, what would you say would be, you know, the legacy if somebody were to say, and you know, your name? Like, what would be something that would come to their mind thinking that it would be kind of like your stamp on wrestling? Well, the Conquistador, the Conquistador, Jose Luis Rivera was, uh, I got a good uh, good job by Jose Luis Rivera. And the Conquistador was the one who, who was a big, big one, you know, went to the Survivor Series, we went... A lot. We went around with all those big typing, and I think they remember more about the Conquistador uh, than uh, the Black Demon and all the. I know that I wrestled Super Fly Jimmy Snook as a Black Demon, and uh, it was a great match. One time I did a typing with Dave Jimmy Snuka in New Jersey. It was me and Jimmy, and uh, there was uh, Chief J. Strong who was the, the agent. And uh, he said, when we finished the match, he came to me and said, well, Jose, that was a great match. I, I love this and that. He put me over like a million dollars. I said, wow, thank you. 
and Jimmy Nuka told me, yeah, my amigo, that was great, that was good. That was great. So cool that uh, you wrestled all these guys and you team with all these guys. I didn't even mention Jimmy Snuka, who was another uh, obviously great guy. Cause there's so many guys that you're in there with. Um, I kind of glanced over yeah. him. But, yeah, Jimmy Snuka is another great one. And you throw in a Harley Race and King Kong Bunny. I mean, so many uh, big-time yeah, big games. Yeah. It's a lot of that. Sometimes I, I, I watch a match. They send me uh, a match in, uh, in Facebook or whatever that I say. When did I wrestle this guy? I don't remember. There were so many of them that I, sometimes I see the match. I say, wow, did I wrestle this guy too? Oh, wow. Last uh, couple of weeks ago, uh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, they sent me a match, me and Frenchie Martin. Do you remember Frenchie Martin? Oh, yeah. So he was here in Puerto Rico. When I came to Puerto Rico, I wrestled him. And I saw that match uh, maybe last week. I say, when did I wrestle this guy? I don't remember that. And uh, there was, uh, there was, and it was a good match, though. And uh, I say, wow, it's, they send me matches that I don't, that I say, when did I wrestle this match? They send me matches that I wrestled Andre the Giant. And I say, I remember that I wrestled Andre, me and uh, Johnny Ross, we do a fighting against Andre the Giant. And I remember that, but they, they, I got a couple of matches with Andre that I don't remember. I said, wow, I wrestled that match with Andre, too. Wow. I wrestled Bijan Stott. Remember him? Oh, yes. One of my favorites. I, I went I 20 minutes with Bijan Stott. One time we was in uh, some place, there was a snow, and everybody was late. So we have to stay there to wait till the people came, the, the, the boys came down, the wrestler. So we have to went 20 minutes. Around with a with a big guy. What I gonna do with uh this uh big just so I jump in the ring. I give you a couple of punch and I start running. He start fighting. I start running. He give me a punch. I go out. We spend about twenty minutes doing that. So at the end, so he catch me. I'm okay. You catch me. Okay, no problem. I went twenty minutes with Rory Piper too. That was uh almost the same situation, and uh, that was great. That was great. Some awesome, awesome memories. And obviously, coming up on June 9th at Legends of the Ring, you'll be able to share some of these amazing memories with the fans. Yeah. You can go to Captain Corn, excuse me, Captain's Corner, its Facebook page, or his free web store. I'm sorry, before I mentioned the Weebly store, it's a free web store of Captain's Corner. You get all your ticket information. You can meet Jose, Luis Rivera, and a couple of great random other guests that Captain's Corner always brings to the table. So, Jose, what is just one final thing you can say out there to your fans that are going to come out to meet you on Saturday, June 9th in Monroe, New Jersey? That's right. I want to be in Monroe, New Jersey. I hope everybody goes show there. Go and see me. I'll be there with all the gimmicks that I got. Conquistador, Brad, Shadow, Brad, Demon, Red, Demon. I'll be there. All in one. You get a whole package in one. So, it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. You're going to be... Uh, something different, you're going to meet a lot of people. I don't want to be there by myself. There's going to be a bunch of guys, a bunch of reds, a bunch of superstars. They're going to be there. And uh, I think that it's going to be great. It's like always. It's like, uh, what should I say? Get there. Be there. June 9 at the Monroe in New Jersey. It's going to be great. You, you're never going to see something like that again. So you better go there. 
Yeah, you think you go there. You go, you're going to get a good, good time. Believe, believe me, you're going to get a good time there. We are going to get a couple of We're all going to be good. We're going to get great time. We're going to see all those guys. We're going to have uh, hang with the guys, with the fan. We're going to talk to the fan. We're going to take pictures, everything. Get there. Get there. We we were there. We were there. All right. Awesome, Jose. Thank you so much for all the time that you gave me here tonight. And we will see you June 9th at Legends of the Ring over in Monroe, New Jersey. Thank you, and I appreciate it. So i see you there. Take care, man. Yes, thank you. Have a good one. Hey, same to you. Bye to everybody. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.